Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Tosin on. She's going to tell you a bit about who she is, what she does, and how she does it. But first, we want to welcome her to the show. Thank you for being on our show today. I am so excited uh, for this uh, podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolute pleasure. Let's start off with uh, you know an introduction of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah. So, as you said, my name is Tosin, and I call myself an academic and a designer in practice. Um, so right now, I am finishing up my Master of Architecture degree. And so that's kind of what I study and I research and things like that. And I also, on the side, well, you know, it's a very big on the side because it ends up sometimes being a full-time, you know, endeavor. I run a boutique branding agency called Atelier Oluato that houses me and three other creatives. Oh, very interesting. And uh, what exactly do you guys focus on? Yeah, so we kind of do everything for brands that has to do with visuals and kind of like strategic marketing. And so, you know, everything from logos to website design to even like storefronts and campaigns and things like that. Now, do you guys all like have a separate role or is it one of those things that everybody does everything and anything kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. So everyone has their separate role, but at the same time with such a small team, sometimes they blur and it really is a team effort to keep the entire thing going, but everyone has their zone of genius. So I'm more so on like the art direction side and the strategic side, since I have the most um, like marketing training. And then I have a design assistant and he does a lot of similar things as me and he's just kind of like my right hand man like an extension of my own brain i also have a filmmaker and a music producer and an animator that i'm also training on right now too so i guess i could start saying that houses four creatives yeah well there you go right mm -hmm. love that yeah now that's interesting right because most people start off just by themselves one-on-one -on -one kind of thing and they try to be the jack of all trades or the jill of all trades depending on what gender you are and um you know like it's and you got into working with a group of people all all right right from the beginning basically now what was that inspiration yeah well i mean mine was a little bit here and there because i did start alone um and we are going into our fourth year now of business and it's been pretty steady growth adding somebody on pretty much every year and so when i first started out i was super niche super focused and i really just called myself a logo maker i would just only make logos that was my zone of genius and then as i got to a point where I had more inquiries than I could handle and I was just feeling like very, very overwhelmed all the time. That's when I started to expand my team, brought on my first design assistant. And then from there on out, it's pretty much been for me that if I'm interested in going into a field or I'm interested in adding a service offering, we will hire somebody who has that specific expertise because I am like, like I said, I'm an academic, I'm a learner. And so before what I would do is I would just like learn how to do something new. I would, you know, pick up a new skill. But then it got to a point where I was like, this is unsustainable. I can't just be like, you said, a Joe of all trades. I'm probably going to be mediocre at a lot of these things. And I just simply don't have time to be learning a million and one new programs and skills just because I want to offer it to my clients. And so I could just hire somebody who they really enjoy doing this thing and they're super good at it better than I am. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great thought. Now, now with that being said, like, I guess you had two options, really. You could have just chose to stay where you were, stayed where you were comfortable and not expand and just get more of what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And, but you chose to, that you would rather hire people and expand. Yeah. Why? I think it was because, first of all, I am really passionate about like the logistical sides of entrepreneurship. I know there's a lot of creatives who all they want to do is make, but I actually really like the people management side of it. And I really like the, um, I guess, like the artistic direction, like having this grand vision and then not necessarily always being the one to execute. And so that was part of the inspiration for why I was like, I want to expand and grow this team and things like that. And I also found myself like just getting intrigued by other projects. And when I was so far on just like the brand strategy and logo and like brand identity side, it, I came to a realization that like I was capping myself out with the type of brands that I could work with because of course these giant fortune 100 brands are not going to come to you and say like can you redo our logo because that would be a silly decision of course and so I realized that like you know as much as I love working with like startups and mom and pop shops and things like that I wanted to expand the types of clients that I could serve and so in order to do that I would need to learn how to do campaigns and other things like that and so that was the main inspiration makes total sense now when you started off as that uh, solopreneur 
mm-hmm. as I would call it, like when you're just doing logos. Yeah. Now, did you ever have other people ask you about other projects that, or other opportunities or other, you know, services? Or was it, you know, they came to the logo and didn't even ask? Like, how did that, what did that look like? Yeah. So a lot of people were asking me for other things. And so, you know, usually it would start out with, hey, can you do our logo? And then you did such a good job with that. So can you also do our website? And can you do this? Can you do that? And for the most part, I could say yes, because I had a lot of these skills at this time. I was already, you know, starting to study architecture. As many know, it's like a seven-year endeavor. And so it's been much of my adult life. And so like I, you know, so it's like if I can 3D model a building, I can figure out how to build a website website, you know, and so like a lot of these things, I was just like saying yes and learning as I went and I would, you know, express and be honest with the people where it's like, yeah, this will be an experiment for me. But if you're willing, like we can do this together. And that's when I kind of like started to pick up and add on different things. But throughout that process, I was like, okay, there's some things that I enjoy and some things I do not. And there was, you know, all these like defining role or there was all these defining moments where I was like, okay, like this project you know, like it was a nightmare for me. Like, for example, I remember there was one web design project where I had a big vision for it, but I'm not very good at like development and coding. And so it was such a headache. And I ended up hiring on a contractor to code the website. And I was like, okay, instead of me going through this whole treacherous process from the very beginning, I should just either say no to things that I don't want to do or plan to hire out. And so that's what I ended up doing. I remember there was a big season of just saying no to anything except for my niche and my zone of genius. But then I was like, oh, there's a different way of handling makes sense now like most people right they have you know what it's i found it unique that you're out there educating yourself and you decided to do something like you you went out on your own like let's be honest when you're uh beginning the real logical choice out there is to get out there and just for lack of better description just get a job yeah right and you just somehow said nope that ain't gonna be me What deterred you from the get the job versus doing what you're doing? So it was because I already had the job and I didn't enjoy it. And so, you know, of course, I've never like I never had done the whole work full time for 10 years or anything like that. But I had just enough of a taste of it to realize that maybe that's not what I wanted for myself in the long term, where I had worked at architecture firms and done internships and other things like that. And I was like never quite enjoying it to its fullest extent, even though a lot of these offices I was working for were absolutely fantastic and the work I was doing was fulfilling. I just didn't like the whole waking up every single day to go to the same place and do the same thing. And I just knew that I was not necessarily made for it. And a lot of it too was not necessarily by choice. There was a big moment which we all went through where there was this whole global pandemic and I remember that I lost um, an internship that I was going to do and I lost my part-time job at the time because I was like working at a restaurant at the side doing the things that students do and restaurants closed so I got laid off with everyone else and my internship was like you know we don't really know what's happening with the world so we're not going to hire somebody new right now so that opportunity is gone and so I kind of was sitting in this moment where I was like okay I could either sit at home and collect these stimulus checks from the government and you know just ride this out but at this point we were already starting to know where you know the narrative started shifting from this will be a couple weeks to uh, might be months maybe years (laughs) you know and so I was like okay this might be a long time to just sit at home and do nothing and so it kind of almost forced me into entrepreneurship because I was like, well, I want to do something. I've always been really ambitious. And I was like looking at all these hard skills that I had. And I was like, I know how to use Adobe Creative Suite. I already am very aesthetically inclined, like it throughout my education, all my projects, everyone always had said like how aesthetically pleasing they were and how I was like building these worlds. And it wasn't just the building I was designing, but like the graphics and the portfolio and stuff like that were exceptional. And so I just started to post on social media and I was like, hey, I could do like graphic design for you. I could design a logo for you and things like that. And so it was almost accidental. But then I realized that I was actually a little bit better at this than I thought. And then it, it snowballed from there. Makes sense. I'm going to ask you the uh, dumbfounded question that's been on my mind here. Yes. So you discovered entrepreneurship is for you. Mm-hmm. You discovered that you're not really the type to go to the office, do that same mundane thing over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Why are you still in school? <laughs> 
That is a fantastic question. So for anyone who might be listening who doesn't know me, the school I go to right now is Harvard University. And so I feel like that changes things a little bit because by the time I discovered this, I had just started my first year at Harvard. And at that time, I was still thinking like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish. I'm going to become an architect. I'm going to go work at an office. But once I started to discover, it was almost like an inverse relationship where every year that I got closer and closer to my lifelong goal of becoming an architect, the more and more I fell in love with like entrepreneurship and branding and working with clients directly. But it reached a point where by the time I was almost certain that that's what I wanted to do full time, I was already like past the halfway point of my degree. And I am a strategic thinker, right? And so I'm thinking like, well, I get a lot of connections here. It looks fantastic to say that you're a Harvard trained designer on your resume. And also my school in particular really encourages entrepreneurship. And so we have courses, like there's a course right now that I'm helping teach actually this year that is focused on like the practice and like building your own architecture firm. Harvard only stays Harvard if they produce really excellent alumni. And that is true of the design school in particular as well. And so I think that it is a big goal of the school to produce a lot of students who might want to go out and start their own architecture firms and become those like top big name architects. Um, and so like it, it's not necessarily like incongruent. And of course, I could have been a Harvard dropout <laughs> And I could have, you know, Mark Zuckerberg myself, but I thought that for my own personal scenario, it's probably best that I finish the degree, I meet that goal, and then I can go full time if I want to immediately after school. But I also have this really beautiful, big safety net where I always say, worst case scenario, I go work at an architecture firm and be an architect, which is really not that bad of a life. Okay, I'm going to dissect that now just because it's going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> but there is something I got out of it. Let me let me uh, get into the positive thing because I'm sure when I dissect it, I'll forget the positive thing I wanted to say. Okay. One thing I heard about that and you realized the value of connections, mm-hmm. the value of relationships, mm-hmm. right? And that is key. Now, if that was your sole point, <laughs> I would have nothing to say. Okay. But uh, it's the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Hit right? me with that. <laughs> so, yeah, because the other thing I, I kept hearing, right, is uh, one is a safety net. Mm. So, in a sense, you're almost building up your own self-doubt, mm. right? Like, and that and that's one thing. Um, the second thing I think, you know, like, you kept talking about what Harvard, you know, what you can do for Harvard. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, well, school's supposed to be for you or for you, or are you supposed to be building the school? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, even if it cracked and crumbled, hmm. how does that, what's that have to do with your life? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not knocking Harvard. Trust me, if I can go to Harvard, I would go to Harvard. I'm not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, out of all the schools, that is one of the schools that I like, <laughs> but, but I'm just pointing out what I heard from yeah. what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like, again, it's good that you're going to finish something, right? Because how many times do you get something started? and realize that, mm, you know what, I'm bored of this or whatever, and then drop it. And that's like, if we always did that, nothing would ever get completed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. And like, for me, one of my main, like that last point you made, I think is pretty essential to me where like one of my main personality traits is like I follow through and I'm consistent and I think that that's gotten me to where I am now I don't I always say that like I don't think I have an exceptionally high IQ or anything like that but I'm like a really hard worker and if I say I'm going to do something I like would be remiss even sometimes to a fault where it's like I'm the person who will be exhausted and like coffee and like be like oh my gosh I need to cancel on this friend and I like don't want to do it but that like carries through in my professional life as well but I will say that like something for me where I agree like I do struggle with like self-trust and things like that but I think some of it is embedded and like just like who I am and the way that this world works where it's like, you know, there's some risks that, you know, you might be able to take if you look a little bit different than me and things like that. And so for me, the Harvard thing, even like why I applied, because when I applied to my grad schools, I applied to almost across the board Ivy Leagues. And there was two big reasons for that. One, because I'm interested in education. And even now, like I already teach and I'm an educator and it's always something that I felt passionate about folding into my career. And in my field, that's a main requirement 
requirement where it's like, maybe not a requirement, but it's kind of this unspoken rule where if you're an Ivy trained architect, you have way better chances as getting a role at like as a professor, even if it's like just a lecturer teaching one or two classes at a school than if you're not. And so that was something important to me. And also for me, it was, um, it almost balances the scales because like I'm a black woman. And so I have two things kind of going against me in this world. And so, you know, for the skill level that I would need if I was, for example, a white man to achieve some of my goals. It's like the bar is so much higher because people already look at me and doubt me. And there's already just like so many things stacked up against me. And so I almost see being Ivy League trained as tipping the scales and making it almost like a little bit more balanced so that I could actually like have a chance. You know what I mean? You know, I want to call bullshit and say it's sad, but the truth of the matter is Mm. I'd be in denial if I did. Hmm. You know what I mean? And it's and that's what makes it sad. Yeah. I, it shouldn't, that's, you know what I mean? Like it's 2023. Mm-hmm. This is not the way we should be thinking. Mm-hmm. And that it's unfortunate. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't say that, that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is sad. And it's how I was raised. I remember my parents would tell me like, oh, you have to work twice as hard to make it half as far as like your white peers and same thing i was like "Mm," you know i'm a little kid i'm ideally i'm like i don't think so like people aren't really that racist anymore until i started experiencing it and so then you know it is how you have to think sometimes i think things gotten better but it's not where it should be yeah absolutely awesome i mean kudos for you to actually just have that goal you know your self-worth you know your self-value Thank you. Well, at least you're working on the self-worth part. (laughs) I'd say you're you're ahead of most people, but we all have our doubts. Nobody's 100%. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, good. You're self-aware and you know where to focus on and work on. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Awesome. Now, where do you see yourself taking this business going forward? Yeah. So I I always think of this and I wonder how big I want to scale because there was a time where I was like, as big as possible. Like I want to have like, you know, hundreds of employees and things like that. But the more that I familiarize myself with design agencies of that size, the less it interests me a little bit because I, and also like the more I think about the lifestyle of like a CEO of that magnitude, the less it interests me as well. You know, kind of similar to what you said about Harvard. If somebody handed me that lifestyle on a silver platter, I'm not confident that I would say no, (laughs) but I'm not sure if that's what I'm necessarily striving for. And so I definitely want to get bigger than I am now. I would love to, you know, scale up to having like maybe like 10, 15 full-time employees that have benefits and all those, that good stuff. And to be able to work with like some of the like world leaders in branding and like be able to work with like pretty much any business that I would want to and would be interested in. Um, And so that's where I really see it. And I also want to, and this is a goal of mine once I graduate in three months, which is happening so soon, fold in. Yes, a little like happy dance there. Um, I want to fold in even more um, of the spatial stuff. And so right now I've done a couple of storefronts and things like that. And once I, you know, have that degree and I'm like, you know, checkbox, I'm an architect, I can do this. I want to do even more and more retail design and see, I'm, I'm not 100% sure yet. And so I think that it'll be an experimentation from the sliding scale of like graphic to spatial design where we want to live exactly. Cause right now we're further on the side of like graphics and animations. Fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious to know that. Why don't you want to be that big box brand? You know, I think I'm part of it could be to do with like the current media that's out there. There's so much, you know, like I feel like we're very much in this eat the rich era where, you know, there's so many TV shows and movies and things like that coming out that like make being like very, very affluent look horrible. And so I will attribute some of it to that where it's like before, you know, like many people, I just be like, the more money, the better I can use it to help people I can, you know, like live this great lifestyle. But it kind of seems like once you reach a certain threshold, things start happening that are like less pleasant. And it just like changes your personality and makes you like this horrible person (laughs) and stuff like that. And so there's some fear. And you know, I know that you're probably gonna call me out on that too. (laughs) Where there's like a little bit of fear with that too, where I'm like, I don't want to lose my sweet I don't want to lose my generosity and things like that. And I think that there's part of me too that kind of understands that at a certain level, you almost need to be exploitative to reach a certain level of success and wealth. And so I'm not sure where that's that, that sliding scale is so far, you know, like even right now, I could be making a lot more money in my business if I, you know, like didn't pay my staff like a living wage, if I wasn't, you know, like making sure that all of their 
salaries are like above $20 an hour, if not like, you know, reaching 30 or more and things like that, which is really hard for such a small little business like mine. But I believe in that. And I believe in like paying creatives well. And I believe also in like not scamming my clients and stuff like that. And so even though it costs a lot of money to work with us, we make sure that the value is all there. And so there's also all sorts of like really hard ethical lines that I draw for myself that feel like they would not allow me to scale to that size unless I compromise them. Now, yeah, you're right. I do have things to pick apart. Okay, pick apart. <laughs> now, how, how deep do you want me to go into this? As deep as you want to. I can take it. Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> I think so. I'm not I'll let you know to change my mind. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be nasty or anything. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> how much do you want to know? Yeah. I mean, I heard a lot of people pleasing. You're defining your goals based on pleasing other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. You have what I call the, uh, and I think we all have this, especially, I mean, hey, you know what? I came from a middle-class family and all that. So I think we were, you know, we're all taught the whole same thing. Go to school, get a good education so you can get a good job. You can buy a white picket fence so you can retire and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We all go through that, right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what we're taught is the broke mentality. Mm, yeah. Right? We're taught, ooh, the evil, bad, rich man mm. or woman. Right? Like, mm. you know, like, ooh, evil. They can't make money without scamming. And I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that if you wanted to scale and be that big box store, mm. you can be and still be ethical. Hmm. So yeah. instead of making 500 million, as an example, you might make only 80 million. But you could still be that big box store and still follow your values. At the end of the day, you choose your values. You choose what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. Scale doesn't affect that. It just allows you to have more opportunity. And how much more valuable would you be if you created a $100 million uh, company that gave you the opportunity to help thousands of people instead of hundreds of people? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's my point. In a mm -hmm. way, people-pleasing is a way for us to be selfish. Hmm, yeah. And, and, and a piece to our own insecurity, to, a piece to our own, you know, little desires to, in a way, it's an, it's an excuse to stop yourself from doing something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. And that's what I heard. I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but that's what I heard from what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think you're right, honestly. And I am like such a people pleaser at heart. And for me, it's always this difficult balance of figuring out like, where am I people pleasing and where am I just being like a good person, you know? And like, I think you're right where it's like, it does come. And when I say that I want to, um, like, that I see myself capping my growth at a point. Like I'm more thinking that like, I don't see myself being a billionaire, right? But when you're saying like 500 million, like, yeah, that is the goal. And so I think that, you know, I'll have to find out too, because like, as you get bigger and bigger, the new problems come. And I learned that from, you know, scaling from, you know, making $5,000 a year to being like in the six figures and things like that and realizing like, just like what different problems pop up. And so as I get bigger and bigger, I think that's when I'll know. Um, but, and I am blessed where the type of entrepreneur I am and the type of business that I run, there's no like product lines, there's no factories or anything like that, which I think opens up a whole new plant can of worms. So I really just need to be focused on like the culture of my company and paying my creatives well. Like that's mostly it for the most part. There's not like, these environmental aspects and all sorts of things and even just like who I work with and collaborate with and what businesses I'm willing to put like my superpowers behind that's always been like a big consideration of mine um so yeah but like I totally agree with you that like I think a lot of it does have to do a lot of this fear does have to do with people pleasing it's something I need to overcome yeah I mean it, nothing happens overnight I'm not talking about in the next three months you know like but I'm just saying like it's you shouldn't limit yourself based on that worry yeah. And, and going to the whole money thing here, right? The difference between six, seven, and eight figures or nine figures is the size of the problem. Hmm. Yeah. But here's the difference. With $5,000, do you think you have a better chance of finding a solution with $5,000 mm -hmm. or finding a solution with $5 million? Hmm. Yeah. Right? Your options change. Mm -hmm. So the problems are there regardless of the income. If you didn't have yeah. any problems, you'd be dead. Right. Yeah. Right? Like that's the reality of it. So just, you know, what the problems are change, but the problems still exist. You're just better off to have problems with solutions mm -hmm. than to have problems in being stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Right? How many more people can you employ at the fair wage if you're making more? Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. Love that. I mean, because I, I see you have a good vision. You have a vision out there and you're like, you, I could tell you, you know exactly where you want to go. Mm -hmm. You're just holding yourself back. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's rare to find out there. You got, you talk, I talk to a lot of people out there 
And it's always try this, try that. And they're not really sure. You, you seem to be sure in what, what you want to do. Yeah. It's just not the only thing holding you is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So awesome. 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 Right. So there you go. Now, now I'm going to challenge you to take your number, like whatever goal you had for 2024. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge you to double that. <laughs> yeah so that's awesome though but i mean kudos to you for going out there right like i i like the fact that you said with the follow-up you're very good at follow-up and follow through yeah. that, that's a great quality to have right like because dependability is everything yeah thank you with that being said it's going to come back to the next question mm-hmm. what would you say was your biggest struggle getting started Ooh, that's a great question because yeah i'd have to think about that because like like i said my start was blurry and i'm not sure if i fully knew what i was getting myself into when i was <laughs> getting going because i thought maybe this is just like a fun little thing that i'm doing on the side but once i really decided and was like okay like here we go like this is a business that i'm gonna do and i'm gonna take seriously i think the struggle became Wow, it's funny because it's what we were just talking about. I think a lot of the struggle did become self-doubt. And I remember that in the year 2021, I think it was my word of the year. I'm one of those people who doesn't really set resolutions, but just like a word of intention was audacity because – yeah, I needed to just like have the gumption to say yes to myself and do crazy things. And so even with you talking about doubling um, my goal for this year, the reason I laugh when you say that is because that's how I even got to the pricing that I'm at. And so if anyone doesn't know, like it's like, you know, we're looking at like $5,000 just to start, you know, working with me and things like that. And it kind of goes up from there. Um, and it took me a really, really long time to get to that point. And it was because at first, you know, like I started out doing like $300 logos and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is great money that I'm making, not realizing like how much I was shortchanging myself and shortchanging my clients really. Because like you said, the more money that is on the table, the more I can, you know, outsource certain parts of the project, get the best people on board, the more time that I can pour into each project, doing the research and doing the strategic work that's needed to create an excellent result. And there's just so many good things that come from that. But I just like did not have the audacity to be asking for that much. And so after so many people, so many other designers were like looking at my website and they're like, why on earth are your prices so low? The quality of like your site and the quality of your portfolio, we would think that it'd be like 10K to work with you but like for some reason now we're looking at it's like seven hundred dollars like what are you doing and i was like okay well like i can't just like up my prices so i remember that somebody gave me the advice and was like double your prices until people start saying no and so that's exactly what i did i doubled it so i went from like seven hundred dollars from a full branding suite to fourteen hundred and still every single call i was getting on i was closing it you know where you'd say the price people like yeah sure (laughs) you know which is kind of actually a bad sign for any entrepreneurs out there and i kept doing that and doing that and doing that until now i'm at a place where it's like maybe one third of the calls i get on people say yes which for me is comfortable yeah there you go right yeah love that now we all go through that i mean even myself i went through that so many times yeah so many times right you always that worry well what if people leave what if this well yeah what we never think of is we want some people to leave mm-hmm. and not because they're a bad person but it's just one of those things that it comes to a certain point mm-hmm. that if you end up working a like prime example we'll take mm-hmm. 50 dollar job yeah when you price and you tell somebody 50 bucks you're thinking you're gonna spend 15 20 minutes with them whatever yeah now when you're five hours in for that same 50 bucks <laughs> now what ends up happening you start building resentment Yes. <laughs> you know, at that point, and then when you build resentment, now you start compromising quality or you start debating it. Yeah. Because at that point in time, you're just so fed up, you don't care anymore. Exactly. But now you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and you don't want to not deliver on what you said. Mm-hmm. And that's where the resentment comes in. Mm-hmm. So then the person finishes and they're happy. Oh, look what I got. And you're like, never call me back again. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, and reality, is it their fault? no because you you've set your own price <laughs> right right so it, it's you have to be able to do something where, you, where you're gonna feel not just proud of your work but proud that you got the work exactly right and it also attracts a whole different you know echelon of people yes. right where it's like you know when you're exactly charging 50 dollars, oftentimes like you said exactly the situation you described i've been there so many times before where i was like ooh, like even when things got higher i was like a thousand dollars for this and then you really start doing the project and i'm on like month two of this project and i'm like kate like like you said don't talk to me every revision they ask for i'm just like oh here we go and i'm just like trying to get it done and i'm not creating work that i'm proud of 
And also in that, like oftentimes the lowest paying clients are the ones that are the most difficult to work with because they don't want to invest in it. They don't believe in you. They don't believe in your product. And there's also something that I learned. I know I'm talking a lot, but I'm going to talk. Oh, please do. (laughs) There's also something that this is something I learned. So I study marketing at MIT. And so they do a lot of like behavioral economics and like psychology stuff. And human beings use price as a proxy, right? And like, because we make so many decisions all day long. And so our brains have figured out all these different ways of making quicker decisions. And we have all these biases and prejudices and things like that, which as we know, can be harmful to us and other people, but actually they're there to protect us. Because imagine if every choice you made, you're just fretting over and you're using like your deep thinking and stuff like that. And so one of the main biases or heuristics, as we call it, that human beings use is price, right? And so there's that experiment. It's pretty famous where um, a lot of people were given, like there was like a wine tasting or something like that. And these people were given these two like glasses of red wine and told to taste them and choose like which one they liked better. And people were choosing like random options. I think that the cheaper wine ended up actually like winning by a little bit. But then, you know, a new sample group of people was given the same two wines, but they were told the price of each. Of course, whatever everyone picked was the better one, the more expensive one, because Mm we are you know, baked into this assumption, especially in things that are kind of subjective in their value, that more expensive is better. And so when I'm a designer and I'm saying that this logo is going to be $50, that already creates a whole set of assumptions for people versus when a designer approaches you and it's like, this is a $50,000 logo, which is what those giant agencies like Pentagram, like Design Studio, like, you know, all these big, big, big ones do, where is the logo necessarily aesthetically better? I don't know. It's subjective, but the price commands a certain level of respect. Yeah. To touch a point, what you're saying here, I got an actual live story because I mean, I'm in real estate now, but I started off in the, in the print and marketing business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I remember one time uh, I had a client that I did the same thing. I thought I was going to do him a favor and I lowballed whatever, just to help the person. But the reality is because they were printing they were printing something like $25,000 a month. Hmm, and yeah. I didn't want to uh, offend the guy because I didn't want to lose the print job. So I did a stupid thing that a logo designer, whatever it is. And I, you know, I just didn't want to pay more than 50 bucks. Right. And I, and I started agreeing to him. Right. But he started frustrating me. I got to the point that I got so angry that hmm. I just said, you know what? I don't even want this. I go, don't pay me for this. Go somewhere else. Just leave me alone. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I just got angry like that. Right. And the guy looked at me like in shock. Right. Couldn't believe it. And he goes, why? He goes, what's going on? I go, you're taking way too much time. I got other things to do. I go, this is not working. I go, I'm not pleasing you. And I go, I'm not even pulling my full effort because I, I'm undervalued. Hmm, yeah. And he can look, well, what would you want to charge? I go, just for the work we did right now, I'm already at 500 bucks and counting if we're going by hours. Hmm, yeah. Right? So, and the guy looks at me and goes, but that doesn't make sense. Look how easy it is. Because what are you talking about? He goes, all you have to do is push buttons on the computer. It's the computer that does it. <laughs> so... And that was the last straw for me. I grabbed the computer, put it in front of him, said, go ahead, design. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what I'm doing, but Stop. push a button. It's on the computer. You just <laughs> said it was the computer that did it. Yeah. Well, I don't know what buttons to push because it's not the guy. I go, and that's why I go, and that's exactly it. You don't know what to do because the design does not start on the computer. Mm-hmm. The design starts on the paper and it gets put into the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then at that point he got it and then we never had a problem since, but it took me getting fed up. So that was the learning lesson for me. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And I could totally see that. It's always those, you know, I can do it myself clients that are usually lowballing the prices and things like that, which is why we completely price ourselves out of those people because the type of person typically, not always as a rule, that is willing to actually invest in something is usually the type of person who has an understanding that like they cannot do this themselves and that, yeah, they might not just be paying for your hours, but they're paying for the years of education and the peace of mind and everything like that. And that's not to offend people who are like, well, I just can't afford that. I'm not in that place in my business. There is, you know, a level of service for all of those people. But when we're talking about going to agencies, like there's just a certain you know, there's a level of expertise and um, peace of mind that you're essentially paying for with a group of people who, you know, have expertise in an area and have experience and stuff like that. And if you can't afford that yet, that's what freelancers are for. And if you can't afford that yet, that's what, you know, those high schoolers who are just testing it out is for. And, you know, you're the one taking the risk with that lower price point, just like when we buy products. 100%. 100%. And I agree with you on that. And, that, and that's the thing, right? Now, there are also those two types of people out there. And this is what I find. And this applies to every industry, not just graphics or agencies or whatever. This is, there's a type that will 
always self-doubt and keep that low price. And it's not that they, they won't, there's the ones that will realize it and just say, no, I can't do this. This is my new price. Who stays, stays, who doesn't, who cares, right? Like you just can't do it anymore at that. There's the ones that kind of learn and then they just understand their self-worth. And there's the other ones that just sort of don't really believe it and they can't get past it. And they work themselves to the ground to the point that uh, going to a job seems more appealing than doing their own work. So, and, and those ones there end up either burning out to the point that they just give up and walk away. Mm. And there's so many times, and then usually the same story. I tried that business. It sucks. There's no money in it. I had to go do something else. Um, and the real question is, is there no money or is there just no money for you? Right. Right. Because that was the price you point you were at. Mm -hmm. Now there is a certain point that you overprice yourself to the point that there, you don't find clients. Mm -hmm. and that's that's fine then you either decide that you lower or you mm -hmm. decide you've had your run i believe every right. business has its day mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what it is some mm -hmm. of it is 100 years from now some of it is six months from now mm -hmm. but i believe every business has its day at some point mm-hmm no, I totally agree. And it, that's the thing too that I always tell people who are looking into the same thing. I'm like, well, you could always lower your prices. If you get too high and everybody's saying no and your value is not, or at least you're not communicating the value well enough or you're not in contact with the type of people who can afford the prices you're asking for, then you can lower them. But I think that an even better strategy than lowering, lowering them is just working on your marketing and getting into the right rooms and talking to the right people because there's always someone who could afford it. You just might not know them or be in contact with them or maybe you haven't gained their trust yet, which is why it's like, like so much of my journey, I attribute to like personal branding, which I know is like such a buzzword and everyone's tired of hearing it, but it's very true where it's like, there are just like a team of people who follow me on Instagram or who know me in real life and things like that, that are rooting for me. And I think that pretty much whatever I do, they would have, they would follow me and they would champion me. And so the day that I started my business at that point, I already had like, I think like 7,000 followers on Instagram that I had built from like this modeling career that I had in high school. Right. And so it's a completely different world. I mean, kind of similar it's like visuals and things like that but i was like hey like this is what i want to do and there are already clients ready for me there and that's what i've just had to keep doing more and more and more it's just sharing my life sharing my story connecting to people being myself and there's people who are rooting for me and so then that makes them more willing to pay higher prices and stuff like that and it's that no like and trust factor that we talk about so much in marketing that's it mic drop we just hit the <laughs> we just hit the that's it podcast is over we just hit that magic moment <laughs> right you, you said it right there people want to deal with people they know like and trust and that's really what it comes down to in a nutshell right like it's not look i always say you know why is important mm. how is important but who's the most important yep right absolutely. because you're doing something so you must have a why for it so i don't even think unless you're one of those ones that are you know paralysis by analysis there's no real need to think beyond that mm -hmm. you know what i mean you wouldn't do something if you didn't know your why you don't just wake up and say let's do something why i don't know let's just do it mm. right i have no purpose i have no pa no passion no care no desire but i'm just gonna do it it doesn't work that way we don't always know what our why is but we always have a why so i don't think why deserves very much time right yeah. how well you can figure out what you don't know you can figure out how mm -hmm. to do you know, there's YouTube University, as we'll call it. There's yeah. Harvard. There's yeah. always a way to find out how. Mm -hmm. What you can't do without any effort mm -hmm. or, you know, can't do. And the hardest part, I think, is finding who. Who is your customer? Who has your money? Who has what you need to get to the next level? Who can show you what you need to learn? Who can bring you to the right connections? Who can bring you to the right spots? Who can get you the right jobs? Mm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you figure out who, I think that's the magic component for everything. But you're not going to get a who without knowing how to build a relationship. And the only way you build a relationship is by dealing with people who know, like, and trust you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's the advice I'm always giving my DMs. The amount of people who've reached out to me and are like, oh, like, what should I do? I want to start working with these clients. Like, I have a lot of artists. They'll DM me because I study visual arts in my undergraduate. And they're like, I want to create art and get commissions and stuff like that from people. And I'm like, it's about the personal branding. You can have the sickest website in the world and all of those things. But if you have no network, if you're not charismatic, if you're not, you know, putting your name out there and connecting with people, 
it's all the best. Like maybe there was a day and time where you could just like put yourself on a billboard and people would buy from you. But nowadays it's so saturated that like the only thing that will allow you to break through is your own individuality because nobody could replicate that even if they wanted to. Right. Here, you're, you're, oh, you just opened up a can of worms that I love. Okay. All okay. right. I love this. I love this. All right. Now here's, I'm going to bring another point, right? Mm-hmm. Take websites. Once mm-hmm. upon a time, websites were important because people would look you up. Mm-hmm. Now, when was the last time you had a question about a product and you went to you went to a person's website versus reading up on it on uh, YouTube, Facebook, or Google? Right, seldom. I don't trust it necessarily because I know that that's their own curated thing. I wanna hear what other people have to say. Right, so you look them up. Now people are gonna say, okay, I don't need a website. That's not true either because once you right. looked it up, then you go to the website to make sure they're real. Exactly, yep. Right, so the website is more of a credibility, not your sales force. Yes. So that that's that's one thing I noticed. And you know, people still treat it like it's 20 years ago where a website was, ooh, that's gonna make my sales. No, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Now here's the other thing. When was the last time you bought a product you didn't want because it was 50% off? Never. You are speaking my language right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is my point. Because once yeah. upon a time, my era, because I'm significantly older than you. Hmm. I mean, I'm not anywhere near retirement old, but Compared to a university student, I'm an old man. (laughs) (laughs) Right, So it's one of those things that uh, I grew up in an era, and it was more my brother's era, my parents' era, but I was the tail end of this era, which is where um, it didn't matter if you needed something, you know, in a year from now or six months from now, or if you needed it today. If there was a sale and it was 50% off, you were buying something. Mm -hmm. But today, name a time that a store has a product that's not on sale. Mm-hmm. It's right. been so overused mm-hmm. that people are almost, for lack of a better description, tone deaf to it. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to turn around and say people out there look at it and say, okay, I got to go and buy uh, a new uh, phone. Oh, it's on sale, 50% off. Let's wait for the sale then. I want to pay full price. Mm, right. I've never seen that either. But the point is, the person who's going to get it is going to get it regardless. The fact that you're giving off 50% off, that's on you. They're not there for you 50% off. They want your product regardless. They're not going to come to you because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that com- consumers have become so much more savvy and, you know, just educated on all these marketing tactics, right? And like, there is an element of that that I think still works. Like, for example, if somebody has been considering your product and then it's 50% off, like you said, somebody who's like, yeah, I need a new phone, but maybe my phone is like not broken yet. But then if it goes on sale, they're like, okay, let's get it now. So it can kind of push people over the edge. But for the most part, like, you said people are not so tricked by all these like yes. aggressive scarcity marketing tactics and things like that and also i just kind of think it's like a scummy thing to do and like i said like i've learned all these tactics before i've learned the deep human psychology behind them and so many of them like go into this place of like driving fear in your consumers and for some businesses that might you know be part of their wheelhouse and things like that but personally for somebody like me i would hate to ever be the type of person i see this all the time with like all those coaches and stuff like that they use every trick in the book to produce so much fear in their consumers that people end up buying for them and then what happens like they finish paying their thousands of dollars they get the product that maybe they didn't really want that badly or they didn't feel like it was that worth it they didn't see the value and then they're upset after and so like i don't really know like why you would ever want a customer base full of people who are resentful from buying from you it's just like not my dream or my goal so i'd rather have like a slower burn less sales and like really just like calm peaceful like i always say like peaceful marketing like i you know will share about myself but there's never buy now or else (laughs) like you know just like this peaceful marketing and have people who sign with me and pay for it feel really grateful and that's always how my clients feel after they're like worth every penny like yes this was a big investment but worth every penny like you know, this is what I wanted to pay for. You were clear from the beginning. This is how much it costs. And like, I made this slow decision over months and this is what I wanted to do. Well, look, you brought up another point here, right? It's the resentful, the forced thing. Yeah. Now we just came out of something mm-hmm. where the fear, that proves the fear factor works. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. We just had some guy in some office convince us to stay indoors by ourselves for two years because who we were going to get the cooties if you went outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And how many people did that? Yeah. Most of the world did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was that based out of fear? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So it proves that fear is a big driver and yeah. fear is the way people are, you know, are, are controlled. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. And fear, like negative emotions are actually more po- are powerful than positive emotions. That's like something that's been proven. And, you know, so we can use that to our, our advantage if we want to as entrepreneurs and business owners. But like, again, it's the long term. And this is like where I come in with the branding where it's just like, yes, like, you know, of course, there's like all those beginning of funnel things. But it's like what happens after if your whole marketing was driven off of fear and people are doing things that they don't want to do, then after your reputation is going to suffer because people aren't going to be satisfied with what they got. And once that, you know, fear and anxiety wears off and they're starting to think rationally again, they're not going to recommend you. And so I don't think it's a good long-term strategy. Exactly. Now look, 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 prime example. If you were a mask business, Mm-hmm. You were probably the best business on the planet for 2020, 2021. Yeah. Let me ask you, where are those mask people now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying there's a place for masks like doctor's offices or, you know, or surgeons use it. I'm not saying there's no place for masks, but I'm willing to bet they don't need as many factories today as they needed then. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So goes by a negative thing. That negative thing is subsidized, like subsided and that demand is gone. So when you're playing on that fear, you're hot today, you're not tomorrow. Yeah. When you play that long-term plan, it's consistency. Mm-hmm. Now, look, even water. I drink the water bottles all the time. Mm-hmm. I may not need one right now. I got one in my hand. Mm-hmm. But at some point in time, I'm going to go and get another, another water bottle. Mm-hmm. So the And this is where branding comes in. Look at the brand that I picked. Pure right? light. Yeah. Why? Because... That's the brand I like. Mm-hmm. If I got another brand, would it mean that it's worse? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is the one that I'm attached to. This is the one I look for. Mm-hmm. It's probably the more expensive one too. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because that's what I'm accustomed to. And what have they got me? They sold me on their brand. Yeah. Long-term brand. They didn't sell me on watch out. You might get poisoned with other waters. Mm. No, quality. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what it was sold on. And that's what I ended up believing in. True right, or not. Right. That's the thing. It's yeah. a positive. See, negative gets you sales today. Mm. Positive gets you long lasting. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that loyalty kicks in and things like that. Like I can't think of anyone who is loyal to somebody that they hate. <laughs> you know, like we think about like when people work for managers or stuff like that, and they're like so scared of them and they don't like them as a person, that person might get results from you today, but long-term, are you going to stay at that company? Or are you counting down the days until like you can get out and work some for someone you like? But, you know, we are loyal to people that we love. We are loyal to people who make us feel good. And the same comes with like businesses and stuff like that. And I'm thinking because so many of your audience is probably like real estate agents and stuff like that. They need to hear this too, right? Because it's like, what kind of clients are you selling to? And how are you connecting with them? And are you just like tricking and duping people into taking deals that might not be good for them long-term because you want to make your quick buck and your quick commission? Well, that person's not going to be loyal to you. And yes, people don't buy houses every single day, but they're going to recommend, you know, every and stuff seven like years. that. Right, exactly. And so I'm like, I think that this is like good messaging that everyone needs to hear across the board. 100%, right? Like, you know, the sale may not be today. And too many people are trying to make it today, 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 now, now right now mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and they don't think about the long term it's what i call the uh instant gra- instagram effect which i would say instagram stands for instant gratification mm, yeah right so uh and that's the thing too many people are focused on that uh, i you know and i and i believe that uh, we've seen it for too long and, and and it's again when you hear something for so long you start becoming tone deaf you stop believing it right so awesome this was an awesome message and i think that uh, a lot of valid points here Thank you. Yeah. Now I'm going to get into a few more questions and go into what I call the lightning round. Okay. Awesome. So now we've talked a lot about the negative, right? Like, you know, what's the hardest times or whatever. I also believe there's that aha moment in business. And that aha moment is not necessarily like, ah, it showed up. You know what I mean? But that moment where we have that doubt and we're not sure. And I'm sure even when you started, you started doing work and you're doing it, you're probably a little nervous and wondering, should I have kept my job? Should I be doing this? I prefer to do this, but is it going to work? Have I screwed myself? Yada, yada, yada. But there comes a certain point where we cross a certain hill that we may not be at our end goal, which, you know what I mean? But we know where we are and like where we, where we are is where we belong. We know we're heading on the right path. And that's what I call that aha moment. So it's sort of like some of the fears calm down because they always exist, but they calm down and allowing yourself to forge ahead because you're no longer doubting yourself in the way that you're contemplating going back to your old job. 
Yeah, yeah. What was your aha moment? I think that my aha moment was when I booked my first five-figure client. Um, yeah, there was a few different moments that like were actually almost like bigger opportunities that fueled more growth than that one in particular. But when it comes to like that self-doubt and thinking like, wow, I can really do this, it was that moment. And so I booked a client for, I think it was like $25,000 or something like that for one project. And it happened at a time, it was like a very pivotal moment because it was right before one of my summers, one of my final summers of my degree. And, you know, there's no none left anymore. So now I'm just, you know, in the full time space. But, you know, there's always that decision before each summer where I was just like, okay, like, should I get a part time job or something like that? Or am I ready now to go full time in my business? And I'm so blessed that I'm a student. And so I have these like little bursts of test runs. It's not all or nothing for me. And so I remember I was like, okay, like, I am marketing myself. I have a few leads, you know, right now. But like, if I could book this client, then I'll be good. Like, for me, that was enough money. It was like a three month project. So it was perfect timing. It was enough money to be able to pay my staff for the summer, to be able to like live my life for the summer, pay my rent and everything like that. And so I booked that client and I was just like, okay, like if I can do this once now, while I'm still in school, like how much more so if I was actually putting 100% of my time, energy and effort into this, like I'm good. And like, I remember that was for me like the, okay, like this is doable. This is possible. People are willing to pay me this amount and I'm trustworthy. And I, and, and the project turned out great. Like she was so happy at the end and everything like that. And so I was like, yeah, wow. Like this work, this is going to work out. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Two more questions. Then the lightning round. Second okay. last question is how do you know you've had a successful day? Ooh, I think I know I've had a successful day because I leave it feeling like I have lived empathetically and like I have, and that could be towards myself or others. So I've helped someone out, whether it be a day that I saw nobody and did nothing other than like catch up on my own stuff or whether I had like a really big breakthrough for a loved one in my life or for a client or something like that. But if it's like, I feel like I've helped myself or someone else, good day. Love that answer. All right. Last but not least, anyone uh, seeing this and wants to find you, where would they find you? Yeah. So I would just point everyone to my website. It is Oluwatosin, spelled O-L-U-W-A-T-O-S-I-N.net. And from there, you can find all my social media profiles, whether it be my studio ones or my personal ones. Fantastic. This is awesome. All right. Let's get into the lightning round, which is going to be some uh, personal questions about you so people get to know you on a personal level. Okay. I'm nervous. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be fun. (laughs) Okay. First question is going to be, what's your favorite food? Ooh, popcorn. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I I never got that one before. That was the first. (laughs) I can understand why you like popcorn, but (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing. Butter yeah. popcorn or uh, or uh, unsalted popcorn? Butter, like butter, salty. I love it. Gotta but I, I have like the healthy be. versions because I eat it too often to do that to myself. But <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Favorite travel spot and why? Ooh, oh, my goodness. Ooh, I went to South Africa. That's where I was born, but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Canada, but it is beautiful. So I'm a little biased, but it is so gorgeous. South Africa. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Favorite podcast and or book? Ooh. Okay. This oscillates all the time. I would say right now my favorite podcast is probably um, The Future. It's like if you leave off the E with Christo. And favorite book right now is probably Wildflower by Aurora James. I just read that one. I've seen that book before. I didn't read it, but I've seen it before. Yeah. She's really, um, I'm really inspired by her right now and I get to meet her in a bit. So I read her book and it's top of mind. Super great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Last but not least, if you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, (laughs) what would, what you spend, you get to keep Mm -hmm. what you don't gets taken away. What would you do? Ooh, I have so many plans. Unlimited money. First, I'd pay off my student loans. Done. (laughs) And then I think I would probably invest a whole bunch of it into my business. I'd probably pay like in advance for all my staffs for like years to come plus bonuses and things like that. So that was taken care of. I'd pay all like our Adobe Creative Suite licenses and stuff like that. And unlimited like there's so much you could do i'd probably like buy a house as well like i think i would do a lot of things that would just set me up long term so it's like i'm just like vibing now for the next few years and i have fu money as people call it yeah 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 Love yeah that. yeah 
Awesome. Awesome. This has been a great show. I want to say thank you so much for being on it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to see it. And yeah, this was a great conversation. Thank you for not taking it easy on me and for pressing me. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. I try to keep things challenging and interesting when I can. (laughs) It's great. Awesome. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show. Thank you. Bye.